the one arm bandit, Vern Martel. Thank you so much for being a guest on Crazy Damn Canadians. Well, thanks very much for asking me. I, I, I love doing stuff like this and love letting people know about my sport. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing because we did a, a bit of a poll, uh, David Mothis and myself, and we said, we opened it up on social media. We said, who would the public like to be our next guest on Crazy Damn Canadians? And I think we had over 175 actual tags and, and suggestions and your name came up the most. It felt like every third person was recommending you to be a guest. So I'm super pumped uh, to have you here. That's crazy. I mean, I, I love the appreciation that, you know, people have for watching different sports and obviously um, I've always loved it the way that they follow different things that I've done and you know, I'm in their thoughts now. That's, that's fantastic. And you've accomplished a lot in your life. And we are going to get to that. I'm very excited to talk about a variety of your different achievements. Before we get into that, can we just let our listeners and our watchers know uh, who you are? Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, where are you from? Where did you spend your, your childhood, your teens? You bet. So I'm from Prince George. I'm actually, I was born and raised in Prince George. I stepped aside, went to other places. Uh, always come back here. Uh, I love the people, the friendliness, um, and just so much about Prince George. It, always when I travel to different places, I'd want to come home. You know, home is home, and uh, and I made this, um, you know, m my life, my children's life, and um, and even when um, going abroad, hearing. Prince George, when I'd be standing on the podium, I'd just be proud, you know, uh, just the ownership that this is my town. That's fascinating for me because you have, your sport of arm wrestling has allowed you to see many places throughout the world. It's brought you far in your travels with your dedication and your success in the sport. And I feel once you leave Prince George and you start to see other places in the world, your sense of gratitude for Prince George and Northern BC just skyrockets because it makes you realize how lucky we are to call PG home. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And um, some people, you know, you hear crazy things, oh, Prince George, different different things, how people don't like it. And, oh, you can smell Prince George. And it's like, well, you should go some other places and see what it smells like there. Like, you know, Prince George has got a lot, a lot of opportunities. Like I said, the people, uh, and that's probably what I take most in all the places I've traveled is uh, the friendliness, you know. Um, it's just, Prince um, is inspiring. I, I've invited so many people here, you know, and it's tough sometimes getting people to come to your backyard, especially in the way of competing. So that was my, my main thing for getting out to the world and finding, you know, who is out there, who is some of the best arm wrestlers in the world because they sure weren't coming up here to come and see me. And uh, we put on a lot of different tournaments here and that, but um, never anything that really aspired to having a lot of main competitors coming here. And it's too bad with COVID because we were just setting something up that a lot of people who uh, were gonna come was specifically because of all those different tournaments that I went to and then you know, represented their sport and uh, come out and uh, built their sport up, just or built up their tournament just by 
kind of my or wrestling fame and what I've done. And uh, so just having people come up here was going to be, I was looking forward to it. And then we had to shut her down. Yeah. Damn COVID, hey? So growing up in Prince George, and I, we haven't had much conversation in the past. I I think we bumped in together a few, just a few mutual acquaintances, but growing up in Prince George, PG boy, uh, what high school did you go to? And and when was it that you found your passion, your love for the sport of Mm -hmm. arm wrestling? Well, I, I originally started my Blackburn roots way back in Blackburn. It was a, it was a tough school. You know, like you've seen fights almost every day. You almost had to stay tough. You had to get involved in uh, in the different sports like wrestling and stuff like that. And um, from there, that was kind of my some of my childhood uh, memories of arm wrestling and stuff like that. Was uh, competing with students, friends, teachers. You know, we had uh, arm wrestling events at Blackburn, and uh, beating out the teachers was was crazy because people are going crazy, right? But, um, and then going to Prince George Senior Secondary was a lot of fun as well. And uh, great memories from both schools. And I guess that would have been my earlier um, beginnings of arm wrestling. And, you know, I was always seeking a sport and tried many different sports and um, my legs just wouldn't work so hot on some so it was always going to be an upper body sport and you know it was like quiet you know i'm really not bad at arm wrestling and stuff like that and it was funny because as bruce lee was somebody who always inspired me you know somebody who's just could do so many crazy things when you'd watch him and i was reading this book of jeet kundu and um and then he brought this if he want, wanted to do something, excel at any other sport, it was actually arm wrestling. He'd love to win a world title at it. Hmm. He's got it in his book. Fun fact for Bruce Lee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's wild. So I was like, you know, maybe maybe I'll give it a shot. And sure enough, here in town, Shakey's was promoting a tournament in, in the Shakey's, good old Shakey's Shakey's. I'm, Shakey's. I'm sure some people that are listening and watching this right now, just that probably sparked a lot of memories for them just hearing the word shakies right? oh yeah oh, i love shakies i love the food and everything else but yeah. and they're hosting a, a tournament or, or a competition yeah, yeah, yeah back then it was the news and um cjci and um and shakies got together and were promoting wrist wrestling and i was like oh i gotta try that so many of my friends said you gotta go try that out you're good you're good good <laughs> and i'm like oh no i'll i'll lose right but sure enough, my first event, I went in and I was like uh, 14 and a half. And sure enough, had to get, ended up in the finals with these guys who had won previously and a six minute long match and, and burnt the guy out who won the previous year. And then the other guy comes up to me and thanked me and said, thanks for burning him out so I could win. And uh, so I worked on it and the following year went back again. Sure enough, won. And then I got in, you know, Keith Koenig was the uh, president of the Wrist Wrestling Association. And um, he went in and gave me a little bit of a list of tournaments he had going. And so I just started going to these events and, you know, different sports I tried them and I just said, you know, no, you know, you should be an arm wrestler because every time we'd fool around an arm wrestle, I'd win. So. 
that's kind of how my little legacy went and I just started going and pulling and pulling and then training starting to train for it and then but a good batch of guys back then you know that uh, were all made up the team of the Prince George Iron Arms and um, and we traveled to some pretty crazy places I was young I was foolish maybe and um, bold and just everywhere we went we kind of just dominated our, our team just did really really well with uh, some great pullers in it and at that time I was like 135 pound guy and all these other guys are you know brutes in the sport and stuff but uh, but I, I made my own little you know like niche in the whole sport and you know when they kind of fizzled out I continued and I had to change my style obviously um, I won my first world championships in 83 down in Costa Rica Wow so how old uh, you were able to identify at a fairly young age around 14 and a half to 15 mm -hmm. that you had some talent and that you could actually prevail in this sport so you kept on training throughout high school and in Costa Rica that was your first international event uh, yeah that was my first world championships and how old were you at so that I was time? 21 then and uh, that was back in 83 and um, and then I was really shocked to find out you know from the sports guys that uh, that and they turned it over to the city of Prince George and said oh yeah did you guys realize this is our first world title that Prince George's uh, actually has out of any sport out there you know we had Commonwealth and stuff like that from you know like uh, Harold Mann and but this is our first actually world championship that involved multiple countries competing at a level. So you're setting history for Prince yeah, George, representing guy. our yeah, fine northern yeah. city. And um, so I, uh, you know, I was taken back by wow, that's that. I was amazed, right? And uh, and was invited to a lot of tournaments. One of them being over the top. And. So was, uh, was, was that Sylvester named, Stallone. yeah, was that named after the movie then with yeah. Sylvester Stallone? Okay, because yeah. that, in terms of famous 80s movies, has to be near the top. And what mm -hmm. that must have done for the, the sport in terms of... Oh, it took it to the next level. Yeah, making arm wrestling ubiquitous. for boxing, <laughs> right? But sure enough, I ended up in a bad motorcycle accident with a car. And I was sitting in the hospital and got these Canon pictures... Uh, forms for you know as an invite to be a participant in it and I couldn't go I one up leg up in the air you know I was in a stuck in a wheelchair uh, found out the, about my left arm being disabled and um, would no longer have the use of it so this is pretty much an injury that should be career ended yeah in the sport of arm wrestling definitely and hence the nickname the one arm bandit Absolutely. Yeah. And what year was the accident? Uh, that was back in 85. Do you mind talking about what happened? No, no. It was uh, literally heading to work, riding my motorcycle, going to work, coming around a corner and sure enough, went to go around the corner and another guy was coming down and um, just went straight down underneath his car, went underneath it, was run over the arm and uh, head and then my right uh, uh, hip and femur and, and uh, it was a good six months of um, recovery physiotherapy recovery 
even then went back east to Toronto, St. Michael's Hospital, and uh, had exploratory surgery done on the brachial area to try and, you know, remove nerves from the backs of my calves to put up into my brachial to get my arm to move, which able to, you know, move my arm at the elbow, which helped out a little bit. It was something compared to nothing at all. So but, you have vivid memories of the accident then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was awake through the whole thing. I never, um, I kind of went into, I guess it almost be comatized in a, in a sense. Everything around me, I was fully aware of everything that was going on. You know, me uh, trying to take, pull my helmet off because all I seen was bubbles in front of my face, this red. I did, couldn't figure out what this red, red, red and it was uh, bubbles popping in front of my face of blood, right? And um, I pushed myself up and I couldn't see my leg and I was pulling my leg forward, which was bad, but I, I, I was in shock. And at the same time, I was like, why am I doing everything with my right arm? And I look at, I couldn't even see my left arm. It was like way behind me and I had one of those old, you know, Prince George, kind of like a dress, dress, a dress jacket, like a lumber jacket, right? Mm -hmm. And I hear him, I'm pulling it forward, and my arm was mush. And I was like, oh, what is going on? But I was sitting at the curb, and my friend was not too far behind me, called, called for the ambulance, and um, they were there shortly, and I remember the ride going, and then things would start blanking out. But then I remember being in the hospital, and them saying, we have to take your arm off, and... You know, my mom was there and I told her, I said, don't let him take my arm off. What do we do? Don't let him take my arm off. And then it was like, you know, nine, ten days later that I finally come out of the intensive care and that I was finally aware of that, you know, what state I actually was in. And the funniest thing was I couldn't, I couldn't actually see my arm because the casting was way up here and I couldn't turn my chin to see and of course, I couldn't feel my arm or anything. I could see my leg up in the air, and and but there was a table, and they had that little poker thing that I was able to drag it across and turn up the mirror on that desk, and identify that I still had something that was a shape of an arm. And it's like, okay, they didn't take my arm off. But then that's when I found out that I would never use my arm again. And and that was crazy as a dedicated athlete and at that time the sport of arm wrestling was your life yeah. I mean, that was your number one passion in life and you must have been thinking during that time about the sport correct yeah. and and what kind of thoughts were going through your mind um at that time i was like how how am i ever going to compete you know i i just can't compete and and, and it was, it was quite a disfigurement, you know, you're used to your self-image in a mirror, you can, you can visually, even in your dreams, know exactly what you look like. To this day, when I have a dream, I'm still using two arms. It's the craziest things, crazy, just crazy. But, so my kind of self-image is really distorted, but... Um, yeah, during that time in the hospital, it was crazy, and then trying to figure out what I was going to do with life, right? Because I couldn't go, I was pursuing underwater welding, and could no longer do that. And uh, it was like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, who's going to love me the way I am? 
I, w I was just so blown away at a young age, you know, 25. Yeah. And it was like such an instant turnaround in my life that you're never ready for, right? Nobody plans for that kind of accident to happen, right? No. And no. at that time, you had, you're 25 and you had one world title one under your belt? Title. Yeah. What happened next? Because you now have 13 world titles yeah, in the sport of arm wrestling. So 12 titles came subsequent to that accident. How did you find the resilience deep down inside just to be able to overcome an accident like that and say, no, I'm not done. Mm -hmm. I'm not a quitter. I'm not done with the sport. I have more to prove. What happened next? Exactly. And I mean, everybody knows like Terry Fox, you know, like, uh, and, um, uh, Rick Hansen and stuff like that, you know, other people are disabled, you know, had issues overcoming great odds and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, could I do something like that? Could I actually prove to myself that I could be almost as normal as possible, right, in my sport? And uh, it was took a couple of years to adjust at the table and not, you know, and I did. I'd pull and I'd get flown down onto the ground and, you know, couldn't learn my balance. People who had beat and stuff like that were just thrashing my arm. and. I was like, what's going on? Well, how can I do this? Maybe, maybe this isn't the right sport for me right now. And, uh, how long was I it until trying. you, yeah. How long was it until you actually went back to the table after that? Two years. Two years. Yeah. It took yeah. two years for me to get the strength. Um, cause I was dealing a lot with balance, even learning to walk and stuff like that and, um, getting strength back up. I was, uh, very physically depleted. And so then I started training and, you know, lifting. Okay, maybe I'll try arm wrestling. Uh, and a coach and a trainer um, went, in, went in, finally was working with them, Ian Leslie. And he spent a lot of time at the table with me trying to adjust and learn how to maybe cinch to a, a belt up or or pulleys or, or something, straps hanging my arm on. And it, I can't actually physically bend my arm out like this, which makes you hang on to that peg. So Ian was very instrumental in helping with the strategy on how you're going to compete moving forward. Yeah, he, he definitely helped me in those early years to get to the level that I thought, okay, I'm going to try competing again. And, um, you know, and unfortunately Ian had to move. And so then I had to take it and say, okay, and I just start pulling guys out of blue who I knew that could try and come back and start working out with them and developed a really good core of guys that, you know, one time built it right up to the 37 people involved in the team of coming out and arm wrestling. And so I had so many arms to pull on that made my arm very diversified in the way of different techniques and strengths and abilities. And, um, and then I started going to a lot of small tournaments, which then I had no issue with, to tournaments that are somewhat, you know, like Canadian championships and and winning. And actually people are like, oh, you know, you'd walk into an event and that's the guy you got to be, right? Well, then it was like, okay, well, maybe I should start going, venturing down to the States and checking out guys down there. And, and it was around this time that you received the nickname, the one-armed bandit? Exactly, yeah come home and um, and people just started saying, you know, they, 
and it was weird because he would you say, oh man, that was crazy. That was the most craziest thing I've ever seen. How did you do it? And I was like, well, I'm just pulling because it's starting to get natural for me. And I worked more at it. I used to work with one technique and then all of a sudden I started developing my own power to use against somebody so that I could get some leverage on them, use some of my own power to um, develop the balance and control the match, actually control the match, take the match to them in the hand and control their hand so I'd beat their hand before their arm. Wow, so there's a lot of technical strategy. Like a game of chess on the table. It, it's just the strategies are, are crazy and the leverage is, you know, it's kind of like putting, you know, like a huge rock and the further and further you have that leverage, what does it take to offset all that power? Yeah. And your competition, and I'm sure that you had some fierce competitors over the years, and especially subsequent to the accident, would you research them and their style and kind of take your do your homework before a, a match? You know what, that's what's weird, because now, back then, there was no video. There was no video on anybody. There was, you get mail, right? You get mail and the early starts of those big old honking computers you'd type into and you'd have a little website where people would talk about arm wrestling, see some pictures, but there was no video to study. And, uh, and I, you know, I won a Canadian championship, and then I got invited to go over to Moscow. What year is this? Canada. Uh, actually, I went there twice, but the first year was in '92. Okay. And um, and sure enough, went over there, and and I won, and there was um, a, this this big guy that was a world championship, world world champion, uh, and. Um, and he was in, here he is in my class, like, because I had to compete in the physically challenged at that tournament, right? And, because um, they were really trying to introduce physically challenged people into the sport of arm wrestling. Well, I was a prime candidate, right? But over in Russia, they were ready for this. They had all kinds of people coming out of the woodworks, and uh, the U.S. brought over their guy, Von Cartwright, who was actually a world champion at, in worst wrestling. And um, so I was competing there and um, competed in the stand-up and sit-down. And so I won my class and I beat up the, not beat up, but, but I beat out Devon. And people just went crazy, you know, like uh, the guy that was holding the camera, he's just yelling and the camera goes way up to all the people and it comes back down on the, you know. But... Um, so it was unexpected then? Very unexpected. And, and I was, you know, you have all, how you have all those like, oh, no moments. And then you have those, yes. That was a perfect yes moment for me. It was just like my skin was tingling and hair standing on end. And it was just like just physically drained and, you know, emotionally drained. and Because uh, that was like 10 years from my accident, really, that um, finally here I am winning a major international tournament and uh, they had this and I cut it written down and forget her name but she was a major entertainer over there and she comes over and as I'm starting to walk up the stairs of this because they do in a great big Russian uh, circus ring that just they do all their crazy performances and stuff and she comes and grabs me 
and all these girls are coming over and giving me flowers and people are presenting me fruit, which I didn't understand the meeting at that time, but that's a huge thing of them being inspired or very like moved by something you've done. Hmm. Um, so that's part I, of the Russian culture then. Yeah. yeah. And I had um, soldiers coming over and giving me their hats. I still have hats and medals and stuff for what I did. It was great. And here I'm walking around this ring and everybody's standing up and applauding. And, and um, so that was very emotional. But that was when I finally kind of realized because she went says the people love you. The people love you. Like they were just... I guess it was disbelieving, you know, like really disbelieving. How could you do that, right? Well, it's the personification of resilience, right? Yeah, and I, right. I just think about what a surreal chapter of your life that was where you're in Moscow just a couple of years after the Cold War ended. Yeah. And here you are being surrounded with uh, people praising you for this major global competition that you yeah. just won yeah. that most people would say is insurmountable that would never have happened but yeah. you against all odds were able to go ahead with that accomplishment yeah no it was it was very unbelievable to me at that time and i was just i was so consumed with emotion and stuff like that and then uh like i said then it was like you know what i, I think i can actually prove myself in this sport and so then I kept continuing and t continuing and went back to the wrist wrestling world championships and um, and started winning world titles in wrist wrestling. And uh, what people don't know is that like wrist wrestling is kind of amalgamated with arm wrestling. They're trying to pull the two sports together to make it an umbrella sport so that they could, obviously their goal was to reach the Olympics. And um, so then I started competing with both of them and then started just winning, yeah, so many Canadian titles and and the rest, the world titles just started happening one after another after another. And, and uh, the guys that I'd meet were just, to think that I was gonna be in their class or even a formidable competitor to them when I stood up to the table. Many times I'd come up to the table and. Yeah, they'd hear about me, but then they'd kind of look at me and they'd go look at my left arm not hanging on to the peg and then my right arm up and they'd be like, really? And and I was like, I'd take that moment and go, you know what, I'm going to show you something. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like they have a, a false sense of security coming in yeah. and you prove them wrong. Yeah, right? and, and I met, I, you know, I met a lot of, well, I did, I met the best and... Um, who and became fiercest, one of the best. Yeah, who was your fiercest competitor from all the years? It's a loaded question. There's been a lot of tough guys, but um, I'd probably say Kenny Hughes. He was a guy that my best friend, Dave Hicks, who was in his own right a legend in the sport, he, he'd lost to, and he's like, man, I can't get it. I don't get it. How can this guy be so strong and everything else? And I'm like, well, if he's beating out Dave, because Dave and I were back and forth, back and forth all the time. If he beat out Dave, he must be pretty darn good. And uh, so I went down to um, Petaluma, California, and um, they had the World Wrist Wrestling Championships going on. And sure enough, Kenny, he showed up. There was a list of crazy amount of people that were there that had 
big titles and names and everything else. And then I'm like, oh, great. Okay, here it goes. Well, no, second's not so bad. <laughs> but then I started competing. And the first time, I literally, I flashed them. And a flash is literally taking somebody and just, you know, like a simple second, you know, like fast hit. And I went walking down from the stage and everybody's like, do you realize who you just beat? And I'm like, yeah, I don't, actually, I don't know how that happened. And um, so I went up the second time and we had a long match and he was able to drag me out. And something that's very hard for me to do is, you know, that's when you need your peg and your inner strength across your chest to yank somebody back. Because I can hold so long, but then there's a fatigue point. And he's able to get around and come out and beat me. So we come right up to the final. We both had two wins. And, um, and, and it was, everybody was going crazy. And... Um, and we went, and sure enough, I nailed him, and I pulled, yanked him right over, and I could feel him trying to yank me out, try to get me around, right? But I stuck with it and just started hitting and hitting it, and his arm went down. And it, it was like electric, electric shock. Everybody was like, what? You know, and, and, and so I was come back, and I no sooner got home, my friend called me, and he says, one-armed bandit. I heard you're a world champion again. And, you know, thanks for beating that kid out. And um, but yeah, so many memorable things. You know, Kenny, who you beat, was an actual American. So you beat him on his home turf. And what is exciting about that is just the energy and the passion from the fans in the arena in the room. What mm -hmm. was it like for you as a competitor to kind of feed off of that energy? Uh, it was it was great actually. Um, there was only a few of us Canadians there, and uh, that was kind of the crossover, quite a bit with um, me. Because I mean, you got to admit, like the states and Canada has got quite a rival, you know, um, against each other, and to go to one of their you know tournaments, and sometimes you'll even see that in the setup, the favoritism, right? But, uh, you know, I, uh, I had a lot of fun with it and the people really treated me good and were, in a sense, getting inspired because they'd never seen it before. Uh, a guy arm wrestling with just one arm, you know, it was just unknown in the sport. He, and, um, and so that nickname, One Martin Bandit, or, and I'd go to these different events, and uh, especially down in the States and stuff. And they call out, you know, Vermartel, the one-armed bandit. And, you know, you just see people turning, where is he, where is he? And you'd be walking up to the stage. And then it was, um, okay, well, it's showtime, you know, like, got it's got to make this go. They're and, living up to the name too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only is it the, the fans that you see supportive and passionate, but your fellow athletes as well. Can you talk about the camaraderie between yourself and, and the fellow athletes that you competed with and against? Yeah, uh, that's something in the sport of arm wrestling, we call it a family. It's an arm wrestling family. So we call each other all bros. We're bros, right? And um, good buds, because it's a family. I've never been in the sport as much as that, as um, that everybody, yeah, when you meet at the, at the table, that's your worst enemy. 
But afterwards, you, sh you know, you go in there, you shake hands first, you have it out, and then you're shaking hands and, hey, let me show you, let's try that again. I want to see what you did and share secrets. And uh, afterwards, it's like your best friends and uh, everybody there is just, uh, the community is crazy and we stay in touch with each other. Um, That's amazing. Denise Waddles. So she's the USA uh, president of the Arm Wrestling Association. I call her mom, right? She's like a mom to me. I go down there and she just takes me under wing. And here I am, a Canadian guy. And she's looking after me more than the U.S. team, you know, some guys. And uh, Well, and, and shout so out to I Denise. Him, <laughs> yeah. We'll have to send her a, a link to this podcast when we're live. I'm sure she'd appreciate that. Yeah, oh, that. she... she She's an amazing woman, and she's treated me so good. And uh, uh, she was part of the thing there, you know, when I uh, found out about my cancer and everything else, right? Um, she was the one who, you know, kind of made a great, big, huge thing there where everybody was signing different things on, on the Internet and sent me a beautiful award, you know, of how the rest of the world cares about you, is behind you, and... Um, and you mentioned the the C word, the the cancer, and I'm I'm hoping we can talk about that uh, in a little bit here. But let's let's go back to the '90s, and here you are, you're on a resurgence, and you're ready just to prove yourself again mm -hmm. as the one-armed bandit, and you become uh, somewhat of a, a fanfare of in terms of people wanting to come to these competitions to see you compete. Yeah, thirteen world championships. How much of a time frame are we looking at these 13 world championships? Uh, it, they have started happening in your first one in the 80s and then throughout the 90s as well. Yeah, and into the 2000s. Mm -hmm. So uh, my last world title was won in 2006. And, um, and those were crazy events. You know, the competitors that I think of and, and I watch them because people have still progressed with, it, with the sport who are top athletes and uh, still pulling amazing, doing amazing stuff. Um, but some of those tournaments back then are still looked at as being some of the best events in the sport because of the amount of magnitude of people that come, but also the competitors that showed up. Um, that were big names, big names, and here they were coming over and yeah. and pulling and um, and it was great to represent Canada. You know, I, many times I'd go down there, I'd be the only guy, right? Because to only go Canadian. and face, scared, you know, scared to go and face those U.S. guys. Uh, and then there was number of guys. You know, we we started going to big events like uh, the Arnold Classic. Yeah, right. let's talk about that because I saw this photo surface on Facebook recently with you and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And yeah. I, I just have to ask, uh, what was it like meeting Arnold? That was crazy. That was something I never, ever thought would happen. And going to the Arnolds, it was like, oh, wow, I wonder if I'll see Arnold. I wonder if I'll see Arnold. But, um, but went to this tournament and just amazing. I mean, some 100,000 people show up to this event. In Columbus. It, it, in Columbus, Ohio. And it's every year, year after year, that's where it is. And so he started a lot of preliminary events before his 
big wide world known bodybuilding championship and arm wrestling is one of the first events to take the stage and then it goes progresses into power you know lifting in the women's fitness men's fitness but we take that stage and um, everybody's watching it's a huge audience of all fit people right and here you're going up there when I go there I don't see a lot of physically challenged people go there these are top people in their sport who are very able-bodied and there to show their best right and so even going there it was kind of like a a difference I made a difference here that it was noted and you know even even the guy out on the stage drags me out and do you realize what this guy just did he won the Arnold Classic and he's beaten able-bodied people with just his physical ability taking his physical ability and using it against able-bodied people with their all you know all their strength it, it was just you know he's shocked by it and um, and sure enough there was Arnold and he was presenting awards and stuff like that and then we met got to meet him backstage and he was um, signing our shirts and stuff like that and and then another hero of mine uh, Sylvester Sloan Sly he shows up Mr. Over the Top himself. Mr. Over the Top who all my friends got to see him in the movie Over the Top while it was filming you know in Vegas and uh, and I was so upset I never got to see our, you know, I never got to see uh, Sylvester Sloan. Sure enough, Sly is there. So, you know, I had them. I got them to sign my, both my left and right shoulder. It was Sly Sloan and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And we got talking, you know, like how arm wrestling was one of the toughest sports um, I ever trained for, you know. And here I see, look, watching you down on the stage because they're both sitting up above. Um, you pulling with one arm and I'm just like, how is this guy doing it? How? And um, so it was It was good to kind of converse with them. And, um, you know, Arnold was, he was amazing and just everybody, you know, always has fallen in love with him for his movies and everything else and, and then Sly. But it was really weird because meeting Arnold was a whole lot different than meeting Sly. Sly was like this guy that just, he had an ambiance when he walked through the crowd of just this greatness, you know. And you'd see him and it was just like, it was memorizing. I still picture it in the same feeling like, holy smokes, look at this guy. He's just what gives him such a personage uh, image. And, and then you meet him and he's like, you know, right my height. And he's, you know, bigger than really what I was. Yeah, he had about 20 pounds on me. But... Um, really nice right he was there talking about his at that time in stone products that he was doing nutritional products and but he was just so one-on-one -on -one, like like arnold very personable like just another guy out there right yeah but you you know you're um it's almost intimidating in a sense but then it's weird because people are coming to me and it's like i was kind of scared to talk to you because you're so intimidating i'm like I'm a small, you know, like, what? What are you scared of? Yeah. You so know? the same feelings that you were having towards Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, other people are there having those same feelings towards you. Yeah. And a Prince George, born and raised boy in Columbus, Ohio, competing on the grand stage of the mall at Arnold's, and you have Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger watching you 
and and inevitably being inspired yeah. by what you're accomplishing. Yeah. Not too many people, especially living in Northern BC, can say, I've inspired two of the biggest movie stars and two incredible athletes of all time by competing on the grand stage at the mall. Right, right. Amazing and, experience and, for you. I never even thought about it like that, but it was just like, it's true. You watch it and it say it, and it's like, what? But... Uh, but yeah, arm wrestling has allowed me to travel so many different places and meet fantastic people, you know, Claude Van Damme and stuff like that, right? It's actually, and I'm just, you know, even even going to shake his hand, it's like, you know, he's like this, you know. You know he's like, a character, oh, yeah. right? He, a real character, real hand. Yeah, I have but a funny Jean-Claude Van Damme story. So I was in, I was with, with my friend in Vancouver and we were young, we were in our early 20s and he was working at a hotel, fancy hotel downtown Vancouver. Jean-Claude Van Damme was a guest there and uh, all the press were following him around and, and they're kind of following him into the hotel lobby and he's like, no pictures, no pictures, no pictures. Then he stops, turns around. dead in his tracks, turns around, kind of looks at everyone and he goes, okay, just one. <laughs> and then does the picture. Foot, yeah, yeah, I think he actually did the splits. So. Yeah, yeah. so Vern, looking back at the trajectory of your arm wrestling career, it must be spectacular just for you to visualize all of the places that you've traveled, all of the different arenas and venues and cities that you've been able to to explore and visit. Can you talk about some of the, the cities and the countries that might stand out during those travels that uh, that you vividly remember? Yeah, for sure. Um, my favorite all time is always gonna be Moscow. Um, the country reminded me, well, Moscow reminded me of Prince George, minus all the historic buildings, right? very um it's a humble it's a humbling place because a lot of uh, history has gone down there and got to see some crazy places you know where you see castles and red square and go to ivan the terrible castle and hear all the stories stand beside the huge cannon and realize that that was something that was never ever fired but there to scare people rolling his yeah it was the history is crazy. Going to the uh, the Kremlin and uh, sitting in the theater where Hitler, you know Hitler had been and stuff like that. Um, but I loved it there as far as the event because here you know we're used to going to, to the tables. They would lower the tables from the ceiling, and it'd be this crazy technical you know technic music blasting away. Tables are coming down. They got all kinds of entertainers that were in between each class coming out and entertaining us like crazy. And it was a big production show. And then, you know, even us going to the table, bum, 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 you know, just, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I in? You know, I feel somewhat famous, right? But, um, but yeah, no, crazy matches. Because I had some very crazy matches there and very hard to set up with some of the people there. I had a Russian guy that just didn't like my hand. I'd set up with him and he'd be moving around, setting up, and the referees is trying to grip. And I finally looked over at the referee, just say go, right? <laughs> and he kind of smiled and he, and he said go. And then we went into a good long match and then pulled him down. But, it, you know, people went crazy because this guy was being so weird at setting up. and. Um, and then another guy with a Ukraine uh, guy that I was pulling another stand up and this was an able body event right and 
we're back and forth and he's you know he's yanking me right over and then I finally start do a big yank and get him on my side well the crowd went wild it's the first time when you're pulling you never hear anybody you're so into it everything is silence you hear the, your competitor breathing you're trying to feel what he's doing in his hand and stuff like that in his arm what he's going to try next listening for his breath so that when he goes to go yeah, hit him harder, right? Right on that moment, instead of waiting for him to get ready to set, right? Wow. And this is all going on. And um, and despite all the stimuli and the noise and the fans screaming, you just said you can hear your competitor breathe. That's yeah. how laser-focused you are. Exactly, exactly. You're, you're feeling every every moment is means something in your match, right? Uh and it's weird. Um, everybody, I think, some point in life has had an arm wrestling match, whether it's been with their brother or sister, their moms or friends. So arm wrestling is there, but then you blow it up to the magnitude that I went into it at. It's just, um, there's so much to it. The technique is, is unbelievable to kind of understand what you can do to a person's hand to manipulate it along with the arm you know so i'd go to tournaments and there'd be a lot of guys you know sleeves cut off and everything else just muscles ripping right and like holy smokes i gotta go against that guy but then i learned to start looking down at their baby finger because their baby finger is what i wanted to beat out of the whole arm you got to beat that baby finger and people are like what do you mean you grab their baby finger and pull on it and it's like no you know, when you're gripping up with somebody, their back of their fingers are in your hand. The smallest part of the whole arm is that baby finger. So what I need to do is hang on to that hand, drive my force up into their hand, and especially exposing their baby finger to rip their hand open by then exposing their arm and keep pulling and pulling and pulling. The more you get away from that tightness and that great setup that I feel super strong and all of a sudden you're way out here and you're stretched out, well, that's your weakest point, right? And that was my ability was to try and control the hand so that I could actually open up their hand, pull it towards me, and then force in a power that went straight up and over to kind of what we call dump them to the pad, you know? And, a lot uh, of strategy. A lot of strategy, and, and, and you know, some matches were easier than others. Some you're so close to being so equally matched that that's what you almost live for, right, is a match like that. Where that's what I say, when you're, you're going and you got your power and then you're feeling what they're doing and what you got to compensate to be offensive on what they're being, um, you know, they're being offensive and you're being defensive and now you're being offensive they're being defensive and the counter moves and then starting to get past that arm to seeing okay watching for their breath seeing where they're looking look at the adjustments on their body where they're going what they're doing to to counteract against it and turn that match more favorable into what you're doing and where you're going it just when you get all that going all at once, it's just an incredible sensation when you feel the back of that pad is down and you feel a slap on your back and you're the winner, yeah. right? It's just, 
it's um, it's so weird. It, it, and our wrestling gets to the point that it's just natural. You know, I don't even think about it. Where some people are going up, okay, well, I got it's a natural movement. It's like somebody boxing. It's just you work on that moving. Somebody wrestling you. Those things just become so natural, so you don't have to think about them. All you think about it is what your opponent is doing, and how you're going to intimidate your competitor by what you bring to the table. It's absolutely. Crazy. And I always get so inspired when I hear stories from people like Brian Skaken, how they talk about the right. '80s, how. That was one of their favorite pastimes where they'd be out at camp and working in the bush and on their breaks or after work for entertainment yeah. and to stay in shape they would have these massive arm wrestling tournaments right. and then you look at present day athletes like dan gallo and yeah. jacob lee just two phenomenal human beings and just powerhouse athletes who a lot of their inspiration from the sport i attribute to you and and trailblazers like yourself are in, in the sport mm -hmm. and I, I cannot say enough good things about the discipline and the, the athleticism from athletes like Dan and Jacob. So yeah. I want to talk about you've won 13 world championships and after that, and this is something that I didn't even know until we we're talking prior to the episode, you, you faced another daunting uh, challenge in your life and mm -hmm. you were diagnosed with cancer. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. That that was another um, obstacle I wasn't quite ready for. And uh, that was uh, cancer, stage four, metastasized malignant melanoma. And uh, it gotten into my immune system and into my lymph nodes. And, um, and I could feel it coming on. It was very, very fatigued. And it was like hitting wall after wall of sleep. It was like trying to get up with somebody pushing you down steady all the time. Um, sweating and not knowing what was going on and being so cold and it's crazy. And then it was like I could feel it, it was weird because I was training for an event. And what year was this? And, and uh, this goes back to um, 2015, 2015, I was training for an event and I was out running on my treadmill, you know, working, trying to burn some weight off. And I was showering and I felt the bump in my leg and I was like, you know, and I had surgery on this leg, obviously to remove a vein and everything else and, and nerves, it was a lot of damage to this leg. But I felt this bump and I thought, oh man, did I blow a vein or something? It was a blood polyp type thing or what it was. So I went in and you know, we felt it, we did different things and tested and then finally went in for the big test, CT scan, you know, CT scan and stuff like that, CAT scan. And then it was the news, like, you know, it was like this melanin, not this, uh, what was it, Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was very treatable cancer, uh, was kind of what we thought. And then all of a sudden comes back as this stage four metastasized malignant melanoma and it was like not the diagnosis you want no because then it went from one scale to the other like you know you just have to pick up a book and read about it and it's it's not a good the life expectancy is not favorable right no and, and you know it was very hard to sit down with my wife in the doctor's office saying you know like you have to put your things in order and get a power I'd suggest power of attorney and stuff like that and the realism of, you know, knowing, meeting your end was, you know, like, uh, 
wasn't we all know we're gonna pass away one day but you hope that you got a little bit of an extended life that you can build a whole lot more memories and do a lot more things and here it was it was like okay I, I i know when it is now yeah i mean we're all thinking yeah as human beings we know one day we're gonna move on mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but as human beings we also feel like that day is way far in the right. future and when right. you have a prognosis saying that it might be imminent and soon yeah. Yeah. It's got to be hard to deal with. It was very hard and uh, really took me back. It was very hard to um, say to my kids. You know, I have five kids. My kids are big kids now. Gosh, they're huge. Um, but very hard to tell um, I tell them, you know, what was going on. And, um, and they all took it in different ways and stuff like that. And... Here I'm thinking of, you know, how am I going to stay connected with my kids, you know, if I pass on and stuff like this. You know, and I've, I've done videos right up to, um, <clears throat> this is hard. I've done videos right up to even a week ago of things that I want to say to my kids, my grandkids, my kids that are still got to get married and uh, things to my wife and even my family and my arm wrestling. Um, just, you know, my best wishes in life for my kids and telling them stories and stuff. I have videos that one day, you know, they can watch. <clears throat> well, I also hope that, that kids, just like so many other people, are going to be able to watch this podcast and, and feel inspired just with everything that you've accomplished. Yeah. No, um, and my kids have been, <laughs> it's so weird. My kids have always been around arm wrestling, so they've never really given it any thought type thing, right? And then kids would come to them and say, your dad's that world champion, and your dad's really a world champion, and oh yeah, you know, and and, and I love putting on events at schools and stuff like that, and having a whole, ca you know, PGSS had the whole cafeteria full of kids, showing them the sport, and everybody just going crazy, and... Um, and uh, talk, I did a lot with uh, um, BC um, brain injury and stuff like that, going around talking to different schools and stuff. Or when I was in the cancer clinic in Vancouver for almost a year, uh, going to up the road and going to the, the Kids Miracle Center and talking to them and just seeing the smiles on their faces. Like here, there's young kids facing what I am in my life right now. And they haven't even had a life and they're facing the same type of thing. It was just, it's um, kind of takes you back, you know, like, wow, you know. It uh, does. And that's what I look at mine as like the things that I did, you know. When I heard that, it was like, whew, you know, I'm lucky because I can plan a lot of things. I can do these videos for my kids. I can do a lot of other things. I can share moments. I can have special one-on-one -on -one talks with my kids that... You know, I, I know what it's like to have an accident and almost lose my life. That things could happen tomorrow that you wish you that you'd never get a chance to say. I was able to do that. I've been able to do my top ten things in life that I want to do. My bucket list. I've done it, and um, and now I'm able to do so much more. How many people, when they hit that point, that they never had to that chance to do that, say things that they should have said done things that they should have done, you know, so 
But I think I that, consider myself very a very lucky guy, you know, in life, in sports, in my family life. Um, I got a beautiful woman that loves me and um, gave me five beautiful kids and uh, supports me, supported me in this crazy event where I'd take off many times, leave her stranded with five kids and be like, oh man, I better win because I better show it was worth it, <laughs> right? Extra motivation, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but um, yeah, I'm still, still fighting a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff that I'm still trying to figure out my body. Like after this, went on an experimental trial because it was like, maybe my benefit of taking this trial is going to save future people who have got to fight the same fight, help them in their lives in some way to, again, you know, be able to have time with their family. And um, so I, I definitely think it was all worth it. You know, through it, I, it compromised my immune system greatly with my whacking out my, you know, pituitary gland, my thyroid, my adrenal glands. It just doesn't function like normal. I have to take pills and... Yeah. and um, so there are those ramifications then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's I, I, definitely... Listening to what you just said, Vern, I, I think that I and I really hope that people listening or watching this podcast will will really resonate with the fact that if there's people out there that that you love, like tell them you love them. If there's mm -hmm. things that out there in life that you want to do, but you know it might be outside of your comfort zone or you're a little bit afraid to take action, go out, go, go after those things. Go out and try them That's at right. least. Because you mentioned Terry Fox earlier in the podcast, mm -hmm. and he has this famous quote that. He said in 1980, the year he started the Marathon of Hope uh, to run across Canada from St. John's Newfoundland to BC, yeah. was that anything is possible if you try. Yeah. And it's the final three words of that quote that are most important, if you try. Yeah. Because what he's saying is you have to take action to see what you're capable of mm -hmm. accomplishing. If you don't, then you anything isn't possible, right? Yeah. I want to ask a, almost a, a strange question, and that is, just with the way that your life has gone, you must look back at your accident in the 1980s and think, what would life have looked like if that accident happened, didn't happen? If you were to have the choice to look back and have that and live life again without that accident happening, or choose to have that accident happen and go on to be the one-armed bandit and, and accomplish all these great feats, what would you choose? Crazy question. Wow. Um, you know what? Uh, I, through my accident, I have done some incredible things and possibly some things that wouldn't have made me the person I am today and uh, been acknowledged for what I've done. And there's a lot of people who both arms incredible arm wrestlers and everything else um, that don't get the acknowledgement that I did because I did it with one arm, you know? And um, I met a, like I said, I met a beautiful woman that I never thought would ever love me. I never thought nobody would love me. And she took me on. She, <laughs> I gave her trials and you know, it's hard being, having a physical disadvantage on some things because I always think that whenever I go to do something, I got to do a song and dance first. And what I mean by that is 
uh, I can be doing something like tying my shoe, right? Trying to tie your shoe with one arm is very difficult, right? And it, it's always little things that um, kind of like, ah, oh, man, why does something have to be so hard just just to get to what I want to do? And um, so I'm used to these song and dances, and then I'm also... Uh, always looking forward to the yeses, right? To doing something more, uh, even in my work, right? I work at Michael's, and um, I'm the manager there. Well, the first year after my coming back from cancer, I, I won the store manager of the year for Canada, but then I also won it for the entire company and got a standing ovation down in Dallas, Texas from all my peers as far as being the top manager for achieving all the goals and what we had to do and leading my team to be the number one store. And uh, that was crazy, you know? And I'm like, how how is that possible to do so well in my work, do so well in my sport, and then feel like I'm an amazing dad, right? <laughs> And they do feel I'm pretty good. You and know? is there a better accomplishment than that? Right? right. And and it's like, okay, what more do you do in life, right? But now it's like, you know, I love my grandkids. And, um, you know, I still get out and I still want to go to sport. I still want to compete. Is that crazy? No, that I, never exits your body or your mindset. After coming to the cancer clinic, one year, you know, like uh, going into the cancer clinic at that time, I was called by Arm Nation TV series. They were doing a documentary. Yeah, there were, we have the picture right here. And they wanted me as a future character, right? Because of all the things that I've done. I was the most, you know, honored, so you know, person in arm wrestling in Canada. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to the cancer. I don't even know if I'm going to get out of this place. But then I got out of there and I gave them a call. Is there still room? Is there still a spot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they come over, Prince George, they filmed some nice places in Prince George with me and showed the guys working out with me and and then it was like do you think you'd ever go to the Canadian Championships and I said you know what has been I'm pondering my mind like crazy you know to to be able to put my arm on the table again not to win or lose just to be able to put my arm on the table would be amazing after all this and they're like okay okay well can you mind if we follow you and you know go to the Canadian Championships and our BCs and get smoked, right? Just crunched. Then I go to uh, the Canadian Championships and here I am, these guys who had beaten me in that, here they're getting pulled out and getting knocked out and I keep going on and on and on. And, you know, I win my my physically challenged class, but here I'm in the able body and I'm taking it. And I have a crazy match that everybody is just yelling and yelling and like, I'm way down and I'm able to finally, finally pull it out and it's something that somebody's got to see, watch the series and see me come back and the place was just roaring and it was another incredible moment that I never thought would ever happen, right? Incredible. I just went there to put my arm on the table to say I put my arm as like 50% of my strength and here I am still doing things that people never thought possible. Oh, it's absolutely inspiring to hear, you know, Vern. And 
uh, we are reaching the, the end of our podcast. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could go on for a, a right? couple of hours. It's we got just, 40 years to talk about. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you are just a, a true inspiration to myself and so many other people that are watching and listening to this podcast. And you should be proud of everything that you've achieved. And I feel like oh, Prince George, as a community, should be incredibly proud too, just to have a world-class athlete like yourself that's being able to achieve things on a global scale and always have in the back of his mind is Prince George. This is who I'm representing. So just in closing, I, I wanted to just let you know that I, I talked to John Brink and uh, the Brink Group of Companies has an Athlete of the Month program that they've ran for several years now mm-hmm. where every month they sponsor an athlete who's just done remarkable things in their, their sport and their discipline. Yeah. So uh, after talking to John, I'm happy to let you know that he wants to provide you with $500 and uh, Wow. nominated as the athlete of the month for April 2021. Wow, that's so, very honored, very yeah. honored. I got a chance to talk to John and you know he brought up so many stories. We flew to Vancouver and talked to him there. It was oh, crazy. And uh, I've seen what he's done for people helping him out in their sport. Uh, and it's I think it's an amazing thing, you know. I had Gordy Howell help me out go to Russia, right? And now to see John Brink do this is like uh, hats off to him and uh, what a fabulous thing and I'm very honored very honored awesome Vern thank you so much you know honor thank you very much for having me here.